0: Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 430 on Tuesday, the 5th of October 2021. Hello, I'm Andrew.
1: Hello, I'm not Alan, I'm Alex. In a week where the UK says goodbye to Mitsubishi, we'll be sparking off the show with some follow-up, shielding our eyes from the sea of red on the spreadsheet of doom, living up to its name this month, and marvelling at some suspension physics in Finland. But first, it's time for some follow-up. Last week's show, Alan was uh, asking about the concept car from Rolls-Royce, the 102 EX, which came out about 10 years ago. In the meantime, Dave Monks from Rolls-Royce has got in touch to let us know that this was a 2011 concept car and it was fully functional, including induction wireless charging, which was developed between Rolls-Royce and uh, Qualcomm, who you may have heard of from smaller device battery charging. And uh, that was confirmed by Graham Davidson. Good selection of listener feedback there. Yep, They only built one car, toured the entire world driving it, and they confirmed that it was designed to have been capable of being fully charged on an array of voltages, grid frequencies, single, double or three-phase, wired or wireless. Thanks for Dave to Dave Monks from Rolls-Royce for getting, getting in touch and straightening that one out for us.
0: Yep, so that answers Alan's question. <laughs> <laughs> right, beginning of the month, so let's get straight into the uh, new car registration figures for September. And you've probably heard today the figures are not very good. In fact, they are the lowest since September 1998. And that was the year before we turned into twice-a-year number plate changes, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. So we had a total of 215,312 vehicle or cars registered in 2021, of which... Oh, there's some there's some big drops. Diesel is ten thousand six hundred. Well, uh, twenty two thousand actually, if you include the mild hybrid diesel and diesel together. But that's a, a just the diesel alone from last year is a drop of seventy seven point three percent. So the, the you can see the the massive huge drop that we've had across the board here. So it's a total of thirty three point four percent drop uh, year on year. If we break down the propulsion systems, diesel together with the mild hybrid diesel, it makes up a market share of ten point three percent petrol again with its mild hybrid is fifty six point five percent. The best month ever, I think it is for battery electric vehicle is fifteen point two percent That's good to see then the fevs were six point four percent market share. And the just normal hybrid or the non-plug-in hybrid, sorry, the HEVs, uh, 11.6%. So the electrification side of things is beginning to seriously, well, it's exceeding exceeding diesel in all but the FEV. And I can't see that's going to be long before the FEVs overtaken the diesel side of things, the way it's going. Particularly if the mild hybridness of diesels and petrols is quietly dropped from any reporting
1: figures. <laughs> well, electrification um, seems to be cannibalizing uh, diesel more than petrol. I mean, that's a lot to do with kind of new company car tax regimes that came in last year. Yeah. So you've got these kind of very, very low tax bands for, for electric and plug-in hybrid cars, and it basically means all that volume is going into those those vehicles. It's, it's a complete no-brainer if you have a company car to go for those. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Right, and let me just quickly hurtle through the best registered and i'm not going to call it what smmt calls it so i'll start uh for september at number 10 and it's the volkswagen golf kicking off at number 10 with 3609 we then move to the kio nero i think that's the first time that's been in i think for the top 10 or certainly for a long while mm. then we have the toyota Igo, which again it's a bit of a shock Volkswagen Polo, Kia Sportage is number six. Then we have the Nissan Qashqai at 4,118 registered vehicles. Then we go to the Toyota Yaris. The BMW 3 Series is third. Vauxhall Corsa is second at 5,235. And number one, because either one or two boats have come in, is the Tesla Model 3 <laughs> at 6,879. Well, I mean... It, If they could consistently deliver,
1: Mm.
0: I wonder if they would make it into the top 10,
1: that regular. I think they didn't make it in last year in the overall yearly figures, if memory serves. They weren't in the top 10. So I'll I'll quickly run through
0: year-to-dates then, just just on the back of that. Uh, Mm. Number 10 is the uh, Nissan Qashqai at 22,535. Number 9 is the BMW 3 Series. 8 is the Yaris seven is the Kia Sportage, six is the Polo, number five at 24,944 is the Mercedes-Benz A-Class, number four is the Puma, number three is the Fiesta, that wasn't, yeah, it's not in the list for September of individuals, and number two is the Volkswagen Golf at 26,606, and then quite a jump ahead of that is the Vauxhall Corsa at 32,616.
1: It's interesting noting with all the doom and gloom. Did you see the story about Ford taking equipment out of certain models to kind of keep production going? Mm. Followed by uh, the Association of Fleet Professionals kind of going, yeah, be careful about taking safety kit out of cars. It's all a little bit kind of concerning because you lose your end cap stars by removing some, some of the equipment. I can see the arguments in both, Yeah kind of keeping keeping things moving, but it's all uh, it's a funny situation everyone's ended up in.
0: Yeah, I saw uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think there was an article, I can't remember which company it was, but they were talking and it specifically mentioned safety stuff was being left out, even though that was optional extras that were being ticked for the safety stuff. But you're sort of going, so much of it relies on computerized systems. And uh, I mean, I found that out today, just having a bit of an education on airbags. I didn't realise how complex they were, uh, which is something I'll follow up on. So thanks to everybody who actually tweeted back to me about that. That was um, really interesting to see. But you sort of go, of the things to leave out, I'd rather you leave a radio out than
1: Hmm. automatic emergency braking or whatever it is that isn't included. (laughs) So The other thing, of course, that's struggling is vans. It's interesting kind of looking at cars. But if you think about the situation that we've all been in for the last year, Hmm. there's uh, five and a half if I put nine percent drop in in vans compared to pre-pandemic levels, despite the uptick in home shopping and you know e-commerce and and everything, it's it the supply the, the the semiconductor shortage is is really hitting vans. It's absolutely stifling the growth in that market completely. There's more about that later on in the show. Anyway, yeah. So do sorry, you want to I'd take us it. through to the spreadsheet of doom? Yeah, sure. It really is a spreadsheet of unbelievable doom this year, this month rather. Basically, yeah. it's all bad. For some, it's more bad. bad than others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, I mean, predictably, at the top of the table, as uh, Mitsubishi is uh, is finally kind of wrapping up the last of its kind of UK operations, they're down the biggest, the biggest of the lot, down 90, 96.78%. Mm-hmm. But kind of closely followed by some very large, still very much in existence in the UK brands, such as Mercedes, down 62%, 62.6%, Ford down 61.8%, Volvo down 55%. That's an interesting one, considering they've been kind of going from strength to strength recently and in general. Yeah.
0: They have been hit hard with the... Well, everybody's been hit hard with the chips, but I've noticed Volvo had been saying... We've got problems with the chips, and they've—I uh, think they've shuttered one of the shifts at Gothenburg as well recently, just on the back of that.
1: Yeah, basically, it's it's a pretty much a disaster. I mean, actually, if you get to the point where the only ones where you're kind of looking at uh, at gains, you kind of there's what we've we got: one, two, three, four, five, six, and ten. Ten. There's only ten brands out of the forty-three. I'm just going to check this now, just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> 44. Yeah, there's 44 brands listed, of which only 10 are in the black uh, for September. And that starts with Hyundai at 5% up. And then you've got Jeep, Kia, DS, Polestar. That was a relatively new brand. Other imports, which I suppose is Tesla. Yeah, MG, which again seems to be weathering this rather well. Maserati, Subaru.
0: I know, I was surprised Surprise. at Subaru. That's a big jump. Um, it is a
1: big jump. Yeah. Last
0: year they had they registered 272 and this year they've registered 622 which is obviously uh, 128, nearly 130% rise. That's impressive. Maybe the new boss has made a difference and, and their new tactics. Uh, but interesting. I, I am really impressed with MG because they started, because sometimes you get the, the percentages are, are a bit misleading because you then have to look at the actual figures. But MG started with last year's figure of three thousand six hundred and sixty-eight, and they're up to five thousand four hundred and fifty-two this year. So, considering how hard so many others have been hit, I, that's really impressive
1: work. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting actually looking at this that Mitsubishi and Subaru, the kind of if, if you're of, of a similar age to me, you'll kind of see those as rally rally rivals, opposite mm-hmm. ends of the at opera, opposite ends of the grid there, but now under the same company. It's like yeah. Sega, Sega and Nintendo falling under the same umbrella. It just feels kind of strangely wrong, really. But yes, not not a good month, all things considered. Especially considering how much emphasis gets put on September as uh, as a new plate month. It's not as big as March, but a lot of manufacturers are going to be very disappointed they haven't been able to kind of you know, bounce back as as quickly as they would have liked. I would guess after after last year.
0: No, it really it really underlines how hard the chip shortage is is hitting people. And also, I think some of the comments I've seen recently, there's some analysis um, that I've seen where people are suggesting that some of the American companies are hoarding chips, which I just cannot believe, because mm-hmm. they wouldn't want to be having their plants idle. And mm-hmm. they would be desperate to take an opportunity to sell cars at this point, If particularly if they're... If their competition couldn't because of the chip shortage, so i there's been there's been a lot of silliness said I think recently uh, about chip shortages and how they 're coming to a close and all the rest of it because that isn't the case this is this is going long into next year, if not the year after, because of the nature of the technology the car manufacturers use absolutely yeah, but talking of new technology though
1: yes, and this is the news that uh, fisco, which is the American they're sort of a semi-startup company. I mean, you might know Fisker from back in the day. You know, I think it was kind of the Karma of 15 years ago. It's the, the Karma's gone off as its own brand and Fisker's gone off as its own brand under the under its namesake, Henrik Fisker. They are due to be putting in, uh, their first vehicle through the production lines at Magna in Austria next year. They're getting their platform and everything from that, so they're kind of getting a, a head start in terms of kind of you know, getting past some of the complexities that, that burden other emerging car manufacturers, Fisker has appointed David King, who's uh, formerly of Aston Martin's special vehicle operations, uh, to head up a new division called Fisker Magic Works. Uh, really? Yeah. I do wish, uh,
0: it, I do wish these uh, these sort of startups or or younger companies would not. Uh, I'm all for having fun, but. Do silliness, <laughs>
1: just, yeah. Just, that is a little bit, but that seems like a bit for the sake of it. <laughs> I guess, in hindsight, you could also say similar stuff about if Porsche would have its special wishes coming out now, you would kind of look at that with a similar kind of slightly odd well, name. Well, I would because I'm a miserable so and so, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be uh, kind of a, a big part of bringing four, um, well, four models. I assume that includes the ocean to market by 2025, and uh, he'll be heading up a division, uh, British-based division, which will be kind of creating sustainable vehicles, which it says will be outside the traditional segments. So I can assume that's kind of—I was going to say crossovers. That's not what I mean, but it's kind of segment, segment crossing, you know, SUV based. Oh, yeah, SUV-based. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. So it's sort of like. Uh,
1: uh, not not the coupe SUVs, but it's that
0: sort of idea where it's amalgamating a couple of different segments together
1: and creating yeah. it, and calling it a new entity. Yeah. Well, how new it actually is in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But anyway, it, it'll Dave, make great press coverage. That's what it'll do. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I mean, actually, I mean, Fiskers, I've, I've interviewed Henrik. Uh, he's got some really quite interesting ideas in the car, some of which I, I guess it's, as a glance kind of comes across quite, quite kind of cheesy i mean but uh you actually look at it and it's, you know, it's it's got some quite neat neat features which i think will get it noticed amongst other cars of that type drop all the windows i think including the tailgate window they call that like okay. california yeah. mode or something and there's pictures of it with surfboards poking out the back window and things i don't know it's interesting and it's different you've got all those opportunities to do new things when you've got different platforms and different technologies and you're not sort of bound by traditions of a brand yeah so- i mean why why
0: not experiment a bit i mean we uh, so many people applaud Tesla for the the trinkets they throw on their cars from the doors waving about and music blaring out and things like that to, to being able to play Space Invaders on it and stuff like that. So why not just show us these are things you could possibly do with your car?
1: You know? But the interesting thing of working with Magna is you look at that and kind of go, well, they're actually pulling in some really kind of solid foundations for this. Mm. in terms of manufacturing in terms of the kind of the baseline technology so i think i'd be interested to see how they do with it yeah so
0: but uh, i think it's really interesting that they've picked uh, uh, king though that's that's quite a quite a coup really to get him i think
1: yeah i mean he's a man with d b seven v twelve vantage rapide and valkyrie on his c v so i mean he's come somebody who's kind of coming coming with a kind of a, a a history of uh high performance combustion engine vehicles and uh yeah going into a whole new world of you know, outside the box californian sort of silicon valley attitudes electric vehicles so what yeah. an interesting challenge for him to take on so yeah i think it'd be an interesting interesting to see what he brings to it
0: yep Yes, uh, and, but another person leaving Aston Martin, though. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Begins to worry me a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. Mm, yes. When have we not been worrying, and to some degree, or <laughs> greater or lesser, when it's
1: Aston Martin, to be honest. <laughs> right, much so I'm going part to... of being British. Oops, yes, it
0: is. It is. <laughs> as a Bond movie comes out, we must be going. ooh, Aston Martin. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to take us to Ford, the soon to be no more Mondeo the Galaxy and the S-Max are going to be hybrid only and dropping their diesels. The Fiesta has recently done the same, but the Focus and the Cougar will actually, for the time being, uh, keep the diesel option. Although the Focus is due a midlife refresh soon, so whether that lives through that, I'm not so sure. I would imagine probably not the way sales have gone. And also the, the way that Ford are very happy and confident that their petrol hybrid is actually as as good as a, a diesel in terms of economy and um, much better as far as uh, emissions being reduced. Uh, another uh, manufacturer phasing out diesels and adopting a, a hybrid powertrain, which I think they're all going to be that pretty soon. I... I I'm struggling to think of, particularly this country, say, where wouldn't have a hybrid? What car wouldn't have, have the hybrid option?
1: They really suit MPVs anyway. I mean, uh, Mondeo, yeah. you could argue one way or the other. I mean, the missed opportunity I wonder with these is if they could have done with a plug-in hybrid system as opposed to a a full hybrid system. Speaking as you know, thinking in terms of school runs and stuff mm-hmm. as opposed to your kind of your Addison Lee type usage, which obviously has gone elsewhere and has gone fully electric now anyway or is going fully electric now anyway and actually the hybrid system is quite a good fit for for an mpv in terms of kind of getting stuck in traffic around schools although presumably we're not supposed to be doing that at all nowadays (laughs) no no active (laughs) travel absolutely active travel
0: yeah particularly on a day like today
1: yeah absolutely
0: (laughs) (laughs) right well talking of active travel you want to take us to birmingham
1: yeah, so Birmingham, which uh, introduced its clean air zone earlier this year, The Guardian is reporting that there's just been a new transport plan revealed, which is to turn what is currently quite a, a car-centric city centre into a, a kind of city-wide low-traffic neighbourhood. I mean, actually having got stuck going through Birmingham by accident because I got diverted off the M6 about two years ago, I can kind of see how some of this happens it's is there there are kind of rat runs through the city center that perhaps shouldn't be there mm. anyway what they're what they're looking at doing is kind of the usual in terms of prioritizing active travel and public transport introducing wider pedestrianization but what they've what the interesting kind of crux for this is that they're dividing the city center into seven zones so instead of having traffic trying to get from one zone to the other they'll try and divert that traffic back out onto the uh, a 4540 ring roads rather than kind of have it crawling through in uh, mm. you know bumper to bumper traffic some of the figures that they've put out they're saying that they reckon a quarter of the journeys that are that are happening within within these these areas are are 1 mile or shorter um so they're just trying to get people out of their cars and they've got an ex- excess of single occupancy journeys yeah, I can. I can see the motive. I, I really don't
0: like that phrase because that makes it sound. Well, technically, we are. If you if you're on one side of this debate, then we are quite privileged to be doing that. But we've grown up in a society where we've been told cars equal freedom, and not quite, but almost like a right to be able to just get in a car and go somewhere. And I know. That is part of the problem with the environment and stuff like that. Let alone with amount of traffic there is on the roads. But I really do worry that when these schemes are being brought in, that how they're being, how the car driver is being painted, is generally very negative. When most people, if you speak to them, you go, "Would you like there to be cleaner air and less traffic?" Yes, please. They, they want what is being suggested here, for example. They want it to be easier to just walk. I'd love to just walk or get on a bike rather than have to jump in my car. And a lot of people feel they have to because the the, the roads don't feel safe uh, or that's the only way to get there because the, the pavements aren't great or whatever. So we have to be careful when this is being put forward that we don't demonize any one group. We just try and help whoever it is to see there is another way, and this way will be better for more people overall. But but it's like I mean like tonight the weather is pretty grim across most of the country. It's difficult to sell <laughs> active travel to us <laughs> on a night like tonight, particularly say you're going to get your child somewhere and say right we're going to hop on the the scooter and pedal through the rain (laughs) to get you to dance or whatever it is. So uh, a lot of times this is spoken about. it's, It's very vitriolic from both sides of this. Don't get me wrong. It's from both sides. It gets very vitriolic and very aggressive, and we have to be careful. I like in principle what they're trying to do in Birmingham, as long as they are backing it up with actually giving people options. Some of the stuff we've seen recently, like the Northern Transport Boss, talked about uh, the stuff he was saying was quite sensible but one of the ideas was just make it harder for or more expensive for someone to drive a car so they have to use this. Well you think why don't you make the option better, nicer, easier, cheaper then people will
1: naturally migrate to it. Yeah so, incentivize it with uh, convenience essentially get yes. your time back. Time's very very valuable isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think people are having that hammered home as more people go back to the back to uh, traveling to work, whereas they didn't, and who who didn't enjoy the not having to do the commute? <laughs> you mean know, you have to you, your your home life must have been pretty grim if you if you prefer the commute <laughs> to being at home. I, it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out. They're saying that this was backed up by a lot of uh, local residents wanting this sort of thing as well. And if you're on a rat run route, I fully understand that. I fully understand that. And, you know, walking out your walking, uh, taking your kids to school or walking to an office and you can taste the air because the mm-hmm. cars have just been sat there idling for ages. Absolutely nobody wants that at all. It's interesting that there's so many cities doing different things. So, on the one hand, we're getting to see different experiments, but on the other hand, there is lack of consistency. So we, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll have to
1: see. We'll have to see, won't we? Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. They're kind of looking to better use the roads that they've got as, as yes. a kind of a foundation of this, which is quite, as opposed to just going, no, you you cannot at all. I mean, I know yeah. there is some pedestrianisation and kind of prioritisation of different different modes of transport involved with this, but it's it, it feels a little bit more fine-tuned than some of the other sort of discussions that I've seen about it. Yeah,
0: it does look as though there's thought gone into it, certainly. Whereas there's a particular city in the southwest where when you looked at the four plans they initially threw out, you're going,
1: no thought has gone into this at
0: all. Mm. You've just gone with the first idea.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no names names mentioned. Yes. (laughs) I am going to
0: move us on to the world's fastest electric car charger, ABB has come out and said that they have a new charger called the Terra 360, which will apparently fill up a battery in just 15 minutes, which is incredible because it's that last 20, 15% that is really hard to get to get in it slows these things down because you'll often see in reviews or if people are using electric cars and they're talking about it they say oh well i got up to 80 percent in 20 minutes half an hour whatever it is and then i went on because that's all and you sort of go but when you fill it with petrol you or diesel you would typically try and fill up to the top so there is a, there is a inhibition in the technology so if they found a way around that that's brilliant because the other thing to do with this charger is that they can they can actually charge four vehicles at once through the way that they can split it up um, with the technology in there, and I think these are going to be, you know, this is like the next generation, isn't it, really, of charger for uh, electric vehicles? Because we've got the we've got the decently quick ones, but they're generally individual charging points, so. It looks and feels a lot like it's, an, for example, a petrol forecourt. You know, you go. There's pumps on either side, type thing, and there's just a central bit, and you're parked up.
1: Well, I guess that's that's 360 divided by four, so it'd be ninety, ninety kilowatts each, which is still reasonably quick, obviously, but uh... yeah um yes uh i mean it's interesting i mean uh, uh, abb does the uh, 350 kilowatt charges for ionity already so they're already kind of they've already kind of got some of the expertise that's presumably gone into into this is already in the ground and already working so it's uh interesting as well and obviously kind of there's there's a truck application for this as well especially if you've got kind of hard-working trucks yeah, yeah if you're able to suddenly uh, uh fast charge several trucks at once off the same point or or do a short charge for a a large truck that's a very important application for these as well yeah i mean if they can get a
0: charge in the whatever the smaller mandatory break is that'd be brilliant timing wise it's again if we can get the technology to the point where it's you know viable for a truck to be electric <laughs> whilst hauling i'm thinking 44 tonners if we can get to the point where that's viable as an electric uh electric lorry in this country let alone europe and all the rest of it so But the way the technology is moving forward is is really interesting to see. But more money is getting ploughed into it because more governments are saying we're going to be electric only.
1: You look at the increase in terms of charging speeds over the last 10 years, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it it is amazing, let alone the number of them around. (laughs) Um, yeah, Yeah, yeah. Talking of which, if you're in Warrington... So this is the news that uh, Warrington Council is to install 30 new charge points across the region following a £95,000 funding package from the Office for Zero Emission Vehicles, OZEV. Uh, These will be installed at five locations and they're using technology from Connected Curb. So uh, they're on-street charging points for local residents as opposed to being in your local supermarket or shopping centre, so mm-hmm. that's obviously supporting a, a large number of people who potentially won't have their own their own driveway, and it kind of overcomes that one of those common burdens and barriers that get put in the way of uh, people moving to electric cars. They're, they're springing up around here as well, but yeah, the, the ability to kind of park near to your house and, and top up overnight, especially once you're getting into the range that these have got. Uh, yeah, the range that modern vehicles have got, then suddenly you've got a situation where you don't necessarily need a driveway to have one. Yeah, very important. Uh, I, th-
0: I think Connected Curb did uh, or recently installed some in Runcorn. I want to say so that's basically virtually the same place. Um, mm. Don't at me Runcorn and Warrington people. <laughs> I know you're very close to each other. That is what I'm trying to make the point. It's great to see that this is this is something happening in the north. As much as anything, because the south, obviously, with a higher density population, money will or the investment will centre on these these places. But this has to happen up here in the north as well. In Wales, Scotland are, are seemingly okay, but in the southwest, and and this is connect. I really like Connected Curbs business model because they have seen the problem, which is or the as you said before the barrier perceived or actual real for some people that then they don't have off street parking they're in perhaps terraces or they're in flats so how can how can we use technology to get around that how can we show people that it is not the barrier that they think it is Uh, i i think this is an excellent plan and hopefully more councils get on board with this sort of thing and work with connected curb or other companies that are trying to do similar things
1: of course, part of that is down to residents. You can actually request that your council gets funding for it. There's, mm. there's a there's a funding pot from government available to to help put these units in place, and it's it's, it's reasonably generous because I think they've realised that there's a there's a big need for it. So, mm. yeah, it's uh, if you if you can prove to your local council that there's enough of a demand that, that you can kind of help steer some of this, and that's an unusual situation in terms of charging infrastructure because you really can help inform where this stuff gets rolled out. Yeah. Yeah, excellent that.
0: Well, I think that's the end of the first part, so that means it is Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel that the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live, you lucky devils. We also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and Spring Store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash and we completely understand that, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you do so. If you've done all that, and we know so many of you have, and thank you very much, then the last thing you can do is recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you. Right. WRC. And hip, hip, hooray. A winner from Wales, <laughs> Elvin Evans. What a win as well. What a win in Finland. Uh, very rarely does a non-Fin win in Finland, <laughs> let alone mm. someone from Britain. So uh, that's awesome. They, they He was fly, literally flying this weekend. There will be links in the show notes to an onboard of Elvin Evans from WRC just to show you how fast, how insane stroke brilliant his driving is. <laughs> if you're not a good passenger, be warned Before <laughs> watching this. There was some physics-defying work. There's that, uh, there's that little clip of the M Sport Fiesta on the big jump. And every time I watch it, I go, that's been faked in the middle, hasn't it? Because it's like it almost floats <laughs> for a little bit and then it lands without hardly any compression or without any jarring. And you just sort of go, that's how, 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 just how? And, and the speed they're doing as well. So this, there's lots of momentum. Anyway, getting over my astonishment at the breaking of physics in Finland, Elvin Evans won, uh, beating Ot Tanek and Craig Breen. So Tanek and Breen are the first. Two Hyundai uh, vehicles to make it to the podium in Finland, so that's great for Hyundai. But most importantly, Evans has stolen back twenty points from Ogier, who was fifth, uh, and he received a he received a fine because he made the mistake with his helmet strap again, which means that he he wasn't securely fastened. Uh, on his chin strap. He was also given a minute penalty, but that didn't make any difference to his position. But Evans won the the race, and he also got the fastest power stage time. Uh, so he's only 24 points behind Ogier with two rounds left. Uh, Nouvelle and Rovampere, who was favourite for Finland uh, to to win or do incredibly well they're both out of the equation now revampere had a dreadful rally in finland it's going to be interesting to see how it goes next rally because from that point i presume it will be that they might have team orders just between those two and they've got the manufacturer's title so what do you think do you would you have team orders or would you let them fight it out
1: I'd let them fight it out. I think what really interesting this last weekend. I mean, I was was really busy all weekend, and it was fantastic seeing how much of a buzz there was about WRC on on Twitter this weekend. Just yeah. these incredible photos and these incredible short short clips, and it it seemed. I mean, I, I mean the hashtag car Twitter. I kind of pick up on bits and pieces that are going on in in the world of WRC anyway, even if I'm not kind of actively following it at that moment. This weekend there seemed to be a real kind of buzz about it, and it was absolutely inescapable, which was lovely to see, kind of a real, you know, a real sort of excitement about uh, what was happening over there.
0: Yeah, I saw a a few people saying, "Look, this is the last time we're going to see this type of car Mm -hmm. on on any of these stages. Enjoy it Mm -hmm. while you can, because the next development of the WRC vehicle with the hybrid is not going to be the same at all." I I haven't read enough into next season's tech to understand if it is slower and if so how much slower but i I still imagine it will be super exciting um just because of the nature of the drivers involved uh, and the uh, you know we we've not had dull rallies
1: Mm. Uh,
0: so yes i can see where people are coming from but then perhaps not Anyway, enough WRC. Do you want to take us to our, uh, well, not new new car news?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's certainly a relevant topic to new car news, as you may have picked up on a couple of points that we've mentioned earlier. The automotive industry, cars and vans are both going through a stage of, of, of kind of severe shortages of semiconductors, which are used for the chips that kind of get used for everything from engine management through to infotainment and ADAS and all sorts of other safety kit that, that goes into new vehicles. Jalopnik has put out a really interesting article, which I'm not going to dictate passages of on here because I think it's it's worth it's well worth really digging into, and it kind of outlines.
0: I, I think it's a uh, it's it's a sort of supplementary or additional lunchtime read for everyone.
1: Yes, I would say so. But yes, it's interesting. They've kind of talked about some of the reasons why this this has happened the way that it has. Basically, that vehicle manufacturers are slightly out of sync with uh, a lot. Well slightly out of sync there are a few generations out of sync for various different reasons in terms of development in terms of durability and various other various other factors that, that automakers require that are different to consumer electronics and for this reason it, it's basically it's it's quite hard for semiconductor manufacturers to kind of justify investing heavily in in the sort of facilities they require to build these chips and it's also quite hard to mig- to to kind of migrate them over to, to to new designs and so on yeah it's discussing all the different kind of aspects that are behind it and the reasons why we're in the situation that we're in and it is really really worth a read because it's such a it's such a fascinating complex issue in terms of yeah that kind of digs into every every kind of part of, of the automotive supply chain from development upwards really so and it's having massive yeah. effects on the, on the industry at the moment yeah, so, yeah it's well worth reading
0: absolutely because the one thing that i hadn't hadn't not grasped properly but uh, not really expressed either was that the automobile industry does use the chips it does for what it feels is very good reasons it needs those to work every time it's you know, there's the argument that's made in the middle of this uh middle of this article about it's one thing for your phone to have a glitch. We've we've seen the reaction of people when cars have bricked recently from various manufacturers. And some of some of that happens when the car's moving to some people and some certain manufacturers. Everybody can see that's incredibly ungood <laughs> if that happens while well, you're on the move. So these need to be so robust and so consistent as well, which is part of the reason they are using such relatively old technology in, in this. You can see the arguments from both sides. There's going to have to be a meeting somewhere in the middle between both sides of this to because the car industry is being crippled without it and we've got to the point where the american president is talking about invoking cold war laws to check the supplies or or inventory of businesses in the u.s to see that no one is hoarding that's the level of badness this has got in some places do read it it's a really interesting article and it helps to flesh out even more the problem that's that's happening here
1: yeah it's a two-sided story isn't it and the root out of it is, is a kind of a collaborative one where they as you say there's a meeting in the middle required where automotive industry can't to some extent behave like tech companies but also they have to kind of adapt a little bit to some of these processes to because what to what it what it lead to
0: is that the uh, the car manufacturers themselves will start making the chips and cut mm. them out, cut these other industries out completely. That mm. that's what you know that will be the ultimate because they want the security. They you know they've been exposed badly because of this. So that's that will be the ultimate where they get together as a consortium and make these chips for the for themselves. Um, we see it with Toyota already controlling a plant or two. Anyway, let's move on to the designers' mood board, uh, and it's the news uh, that Neo, the Chinese electric vehicle maker, has pinched a couple of <laughs> new new people for their design team. So they've taken Alistair Whelan from JLR and Joaquin Garcia from Sat. This is quite a coup, I think on the mm-hmm. old design front and, and i'm sad to say yet another person leaving jlr from the design <laughs> team yeah mm, i am really worrying about jlr now <laughs> i really am but anyway it's that don't worry about them let's let's think about neo so neo is is making some big statements here to bring in the, the people who have been responsible for the f-type and the f-pace as mm-hmm. well as seat and cupra uh, designs for the last five years, external designs for the last five years. They're not messing about. I would suggest.
1: No, absolutely not. And actually, I mean, as a designer, what a, again? What a what an opportunity to go off to be able to really dig in and help create create a, a portfolio of products, uh, kind of geared around your your vision for things. So yeah, yeah, and, I mean, and
0: as as other people have said, the, being electric it frees you up to experiment in ways you haven't been able to before it's going to be uh, it's going to be really interesting is when are neo trying to come over to europe it's
1: i know that i know it's on the cards but i don't i can't remember off the top of my head exactly when it's next it's it's relatively soon i know oh, they, no, sorry, i know the bottom of the article
0: into it. they they have released their es8 suv in europe um, they have an et7 saloon due out next year and the uk launch has yet to be confirmed there we go Right, do you want to take us to the lunch, the actual lunchtime read once people have finished reading about semiconductor chips?
1: <sighs> yeah, this is a slightly more sort of light-hearted read, a good news story that's come out of the whole COVID situation. It's uh, an interview on Haggerty uh, with Paul Howes, who's a uh, former designer from McLaren. He's a really interesting guy. I've, I've kind of read and listened to interviews with him. Uh, he's He's kind of a real a real car guy who whose career at McLaren spanned through from the P1 through to the to the Artura that's just coming out at the moment he'd had uh, some 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 issues with with stress and then had been had been signed off due to that and then pandemic hit he got furloughed and then he was eventually made redundant alongside 1200 other employees late last year as i say i mean it's, it's a nice kind of good news story in terms of recovery he's He's come out of the other side of it and he's drawing these these incredible watercolor illustrations of cars he's also a similar age to me from what I can tell, which is very annoying because he's had a, a real <laughs> <laughs> Quite an incredible career come out the other side, stood up straight on his on his on his two feet and is is doing something he obviously really, really loves and doing really well out of it. Yes, no, it's well worth reading and it's it's a real kind of good news story that's uh you know, good motivation in terms of we've had a lot of kind of miserable, doom and gloom, low sales, shortages and all the rest of it. It's nice to nice to see somebody really living well, I don't want to say living their best life. Ugh, cringe. Anyway, but yes, you know what I mean. Somebody who's coming out the side of They are. They are they, thriving. They appear the to
0: be thriving it, yeah. now, uh, and they've they've come from a pretty dark place to to it, uh, it, looking like it's definitely heading in and working for him on a health point of view, which is the most important, but also um, from a from a business point of view, which is just wonderful to see. And they, the the uh, his his paintings and drawings are absolutely amazing they are really stunning i'm jealous that he can do that <laughs> so <laughs> being really selfish about these things <laughs> right i'm going to take us to the list of the week now and this is the list of the biggest estate cars ever built and there are 17 slides have you gone through this and is there any uh, is there a single one that sort of leaps out more than any of the others to you
1: i am a massive estate car fan as in i am a massive fan of estates and i am a fan of massive estates so there's it was quite hard choosing between them but i think i'm going to have to go gross and american and go with the ford country squire what a thing okay <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you have a look at it then you'll you'll see what i mean but uh, i think uh, if you're going to go for a disgustingly largest State you might as well make a statement with it. That certainly makes a statement. It does. How about you? It does. Uh,
0: well, only because of very fond childhood memories, but the Citroen CX, because my dad had one for a couple of years or so. Uh, actually, a Reg like the one that's in the picture here, but it, ours was blue. What a, what an amazing thing it was, though. Okay, well, I think that leads us to the, and finally, I, and in by sheer luck, we have perfectly bookended this episode with Rolls-Royce stories. Do you want to take us now to a wonderful story from Rolls-Royce themselves.
1: Yeah, and so this is a fantastic tonic if you're sick of hearing stories about overpriced classics never being used and being stuck in (laughs) for months. Uh, (laughs) As I am, um, I'm a bit jealous of this one. Rolls-Royce Silver Ghost chassis number 1701, which is an experimental speed car has reenacted after uh, 110 years it's 1911 london to edinburgh trial run 110 years ago it did did the run between between the two capital cities and they've they've tried following as much of the route as they can up the the former great north road from the uh, royal automobile club on pall mall it took two days to get all the way up to uh, to edinburgh and finish with a party at the rolls royce motorcars up in edinburgh Locking the gearbox in top gear for the whole way, an average speed of 19.59 miles per hour and 24 miles per gallon. Uh, It's just an incredible, it's a priceless classic being kind of properly, properly used and I I bet it smelled fantastic and I bet it was a wonderful experience even at crawling up there at that that sort of average speed. uh, Yeah, I'm I'm a bit jealous, I have to say. Yeah, wonderful,
0: absolutely wonderful. How How to properly use a car. Absolutely, yeah. Right. Uh, before we close out the show, a couple of parish notes. Uh, the first one is that there was a special edition out last Friday. Alan had a day driving a variety of Hyundai cars. So you can hear him tell us all about that and also uh, what he thought of the vehicles that he had for a brief period of, on test drives. Last night, Zoom Zoomers was live again, so you can catch up on that episode. Alan was on that as well. On that episode, by clicking the link in the show notes. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Alex for stepping in And holding my hand metaphorically so that I wasn't all lonesome uh, during the show. And more importantly, so that you, the listener, didn't have to listen to just me bleat on about something negative or the other. (laughs) So thanks very much, Alex. It's much appreciated that you you
1: could join us tonight. (laughs) Not a problem at all.
0: Thanks for having me on. No, not at all. It's great to have you on so don't forget that between now and next week you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram they're on the book of face as well and we have our contact page at www.motoringpodcast.com which is the hub of all our activities remember you can support us financially via patreon and please leave a review and rating on however your podcast app will allow you to do that alex what is the best way to get in touch with you
1: the easiest way to get in touch with me is on Twitter. My username is at AlexGrantUK, and you can find me talking about all sorts of random automotive items there. Pointing
0: things out that have been known for ages is, is something <laughs> you've had to do recently. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, then if you search again on twitter for crack windscreen you should find me there if you're looking for alan if you again go to twitter look for uh, at ajp bradley that's uh, b-r-a-d-l-e-y as we are legally obliged to say but in, we'll be back very soon but until then i've been andrew clues i've been alex grant and safe motoring